Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Final hour of the Tuesday edition is here. Outkick 360 live at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. They make everything they sell right here on site in beautiful Music City. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Headline right here in Nashville today from Diana Rossini of ESPN is that Henry Derrick Henry is expected to return to Titans practice tomorrow as they begin preparations, the team does, for the Houston Texans. The Titans face a win and lock up the number one overall seed scenario. They know if they win, they get the bye. They then advance to the divisional round of the playoffs. Henry, uh, once he's activated, once they declare him uh, and open up that window to activate him to the roster, they will have the Titans will have 21 days to place him on the active roster or put him back on injured reserve. That Those are the two options you have, and you have three weeks to do so from the time you do that um, and open that practice window. And according to Rossini, they, that happens tomorrow, which is great news for the Titans. Uh, who, with the potential of the number one overall seed, they're getting their number one player back. Uh, to what degree, we don't know. But the fact that they're willing to open this window right now, guys, is a clear sign that not only is he on schedule, but he has the ability to help them right out of the shoot for the playoffs. Let's assume that they, for a, a hypothetically assume, that they lose Sunday and that Kansas City or Cincinnati ends up with the number one overall seed. The Titans are playing a game in a week, and this report makes it appear as though they're activating him to get him to practice and he would be able to play wild card weekend. On the 15th, the 16th, or the 17th. Today, <clears throat> I believe he had his surgery the Tuesday after Halloween when he suffered okay. a Jones fracture of his right foot. Today, as a Tuesday, is nine weeks removed from that. We heard that the uh, all the medical people we talked to, including uh, pro football doctor, Dr. David Chow, uh, the high end was 10 weeks. So that would six be to ten weeks. Next next Tuesday would be ten weeks. Ideally, they win this weekend without him, get the bye, and the and the earliest they would start practicing for their divisional round game were it the Saturday game on the twenty second would be the eighteenth, a week from two weeks from today. That would be eleven weeks. He'd have a, an extra week beyond the the long return date that we were were given in medical uh, conversations with our medical guy. I talked to other medical people that 10 weeks was, was the number. So, uh, you know, that's what we had hoped for uh, from a Titans perspective at that time. And that's what, uh, what we would be getting. I think just the threat of Derrick Henry able to go is so big for the Titans. I mean, the, the, the big question will be, all eyes will be on those first few carries. And the confidence level. Yeah, to see, okay, how does he look 
right when he finally gets back in a game. First time he's the got playoffs. a cut off the outside of that foot yeah, and, in being, traffic and being dropped in the middle of stepped on what or, should be a divisional round playoff game at home after getting the bye if they win this week. You're dropping a guy who hasn't played in that long, coming off an injury like that, that relies on being able to pivot and change direction with his feet. So everyone's going to be watching to see how he looks, but just the boost of getting him back and what that can do for the for the team, for him, the threat of him in the game, and different things the Titans could do, it's, it's, it's huge. And we very likely will not hear from him until – Again, presuming they win this weekend until after that game on the 22nd or the 23rd because they very likely will not activate him off of IR until the day before that game and guys aren't heard from until they're back on the roster. Uh, Coming up, we will discuss more of the Titans' playoff scenarios comparing that to Kansas City or Cincinnati, for instance. Uh, The Bills, by the way, if they win... They lock up their division this weekend. Um, And we'll discuss what's at stake for the Titans this Sunday in Houston. Paul's got three things to watch this week, and that's where we can also plug in Henry. That is certainly something to watch uh, from the Titans' perspective. But, uh, guys, the Tennessee Vols put on a show with Purdue last week here in town. Music City Bowl was one of the... I mean, there have been some exciting games... Those are few and far between. Yeah, They put on a show uh, for Nashville's Bowl. On top of the fact, not only was it a great game, a fun game, despite the refs screwing up, and we're going to get into that, it was a packed house. Like When you combine everything, Nashville, Music City Bowl, Tennessee, Purdue, ESPN, fans, everybody won, despite the fact of Tennessee losing that game and the way Purdue won it. That was a fantastic college football game. Well, let's get into this. because People, people working hourly won. Say that again? People who were working hourly won, working that game. If you're working at concessions or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I got you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think they were working hourly, unfortunately, for them. Three hours to play the first half. That's yeah, what Paul's referencing for those who didn't see it. It was very, very long. It was a very long game. Let's get into this because there's a lot of really dumb takes uh, on this uh, with this bowl. Yes. Um, Tennessee is going to come back to the Music City Bowl if that's where the SEC tells them they're going. Okay. There's no, for Vols fans that are saying, uh, you turn down the Music City Bowl because of what happened in the North Carolina game in 2010 at the end of that season, and then what happened against Purdue in this game that, you know, blame the Music City Bowl. And Tennessee should never accept a bid from Nashville in the Music City Bowl yeah, again. That'd be great. Then this officiating crew's at the Tax Slayer Bowl. Well, it's stupid. It's not. This is a rotation of out of conference officials that are assigned to bowl games. Uh, this was an ACC crew. They were bad. It was. They did not have good control of the game. It was bad. Now I will say most of the pass interferences on Tennessee were legit. They were interfering. Warren Burrell, all four of his were legit. You could also argue that the last one where he decided not to interfere and got pushed down for a 70-yard touchdown probably should have been offensive pass interference on that one that wasn't called. But it's stupid to think that Tennessee is not going to play in a bowl game to show how tough they are uh, with the Music City Bowl, where the Music City Bowl did a good job putting on that game. The field conditions are bad, but they always are. That's a Nissan Stadium issue. Nissan Stadium needs to get that together. 
Uh, I don't know how the, the field was on Sunday. It wasn't as bad as it was for the Music City Bowl. Uh, or either that or both teams had better equipment uh, based on I mean, the slipping Titans, and sliding Titans in the had game. had a better on, time than they've had. Yeah, which the is field, crazy to me. Raining and but Tennessee is going to accept a Music City Bowl, but it's become a good bowl game. And Hunt, you're right. There are two bowl games I'm going to remember from this bowl side outside of the, the playoffs. It's the Rose Bowl and the crazy back-and-forth high-scoring nature, and it's the Music City Bowl. And more importantly, that's what most everyone who follows football will remember. Troy Aikman was tweeting about the Music City Bowl. Go back and look at all the impartial people who were commenting on either Tennessee getting hosed or how crazy that fourth quarter was back in 429 combined points in the fourth quarter. It was fun. I mean, to me, that's what the quote-unquote meaningless bowl game should be. Two teams that clearly liked their head coach that wanted to be there. The guys who were playing, David Bell didn't want to be there. George Karlaftis didn't want to be there. Alante Taylor didn't want to be there for Tennessee. They opted out. They want to go get ready for the draft. The guys that played in that game, they wanted to be there. It showed. They played hard. It was fun. They cared. But it's also kind of icing on the cake you know, for both teams. It didn't feel like life or death necessarily in that game. But that's to me, that's what bowl season should be. And it was a great spotlight for the city of Nashville. And Tennessee's going to play in the bowl game if they get invited again because none of that is the Music City Bowl's fault with what happened at the end of that game. Now, let's get into the last play uh, of or the play in overtime that everyone's talking about. Um, it was a penalty on Tennessee by Princeton Fant for trying to drag the player into the end zone as he was struggling to stay on his feet and reach the ball out to, to have the touchdown. Um in that instance, especially with you know, the game on the line right there, I, I would just prefer that what happens 95% of the time in that moment happens. And what happens 95% of the time in that moment is you let the thing go until he is clearly down and he is having to get back up off the ground to try to put the thing in the end zone. And you let that thing play out and don't stop uh, the forward progress at that point. If they, th- I, I don't know that I can recall seeing a flag for dragging a player throughout the season. If they want to throw a flag for that, fine, by letter of the law, that's the penalty. That still gives Tennessee the ball uh, on fourth down, right, to kick a field goal, where at least the game extends a little bit more. I don't think Tennessee's probably stopping Purdue from what I saw defensively in that game, and they probably go on to score a touchdown to win it. But it, it's a shame it had to end that way because it was such a great game. But... I think in the end, it only adds to how memorable that event was. To me, forward progress, and I think the whole thing maybe needs to be revised, but to me, forward progress is when a guy's standing up, particularly a quarterback. When he's standing up and and he's piled up and he's being pushed backwards and the whistle blows to stop that big pile from putting him uh, down, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe sometimes a running back when he's out wide and there's a number of people stacking him up, but primarily with the quarterback. To me, it feels like it's a quarterback, uh, almost another quarterback protection thing. All right, you've stopped the guy. You're pushing him backwards. I'm going to blow the whistle here. We're going to stop this thing so that you guys aren't compelled to uh, body slam him collectively because there are 10 of you pushing him backwards. I don't think forward progress should be used when a guy starts to go towards the ground chugging chugging forward or any kind of body-lowering movement. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm totally with you, Paul. I, 
it kills me at times. I'm someone who complains about officials not blowing a play dead soon enough a lot of times, and it's the moment you're talking about. It's when someone, a receiver's down the field, they get hit, they get stood up, they're trying to get extra yardage, and then another teammate, a, a defender comes up, and they start moving backwards. That's what I'm thinking. Blow the whistle quicker when that's happening and stop the and play when someone stood up. those are obvious situations, it seems to me. Yeah, you don't Common blow... Common sense, you don't like blow 50 the play guys in a bar if decision. If someone's laying over the top of a defender... And this whole thing about, and I've seen the, the, the posts about, well, you actually can review this, and there's even like a critical play exclusion that you could go back and, and overrule something like forward progress being stopped if there was clear visual evidence that it was the wrong call. What bothers me about it is I feel like a stubbornness won out over what actually happened. He got in the end zone. He was on a body. He was reaching out. His legs never stopped moving. He reached the ball out. It should have been a touchdown. And I feel like because the official, oh, no, 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 no. I don't care if the whistle didn't blow until after it went in. I, I called the play dead, and I stopped forward progress where they could have easily gone behind the monitor and said, let's just keep this thing going. Let, let, let's get the play right and say it was a touchdown. And it doesn't end the game. It doesn't lose the game for Purdue. That just makes them have to match with a touchdown at that point. I think that's what's frustrating. I'm honestly more frustrated about the lack of a defensive holding call on Cedric Tillman after clearly the game was being officiated in a way that every contact on a pass was a penalty. The more I think about the way Josh Heupel managed that final drive, I don't think he did a good job with it. I wouldn't have gone about it that way. But Josh Heupel is very much a go-for-it type coach. So he went deep a couple times trying to end the game in the final seconds on a touchdown, or, follow me here, a pass interference or defensive holding, which he knew with one-on-one -on -one coverage he was going to get one or the other. And guess what he got on the second attempt? A clear grab of the jersey the whole way down the field where you see on the replay the jersey's being stretched out. He's holding him so bad because Cedric Tillman had him beat for a touchdown. All he could do was reach out and grab him. When that's not called, I'm almost more frustrated by that. That would have given Tennessee a, le a legitimate chance at a field goal to win it in regulation than the final call. I do think their ability to take the touchdown on the forward progress and go, like you're saying, have a conversation and say, okay, let's let this happen, is complicated by Fant pulling him in. Yes. Yeah, right? we, we, if yeah, Fant's not that. pulling him in, you can do that. But if you do that, then you say, well, what about the guy who's clearly pulling yeah, him then in? Yeah, make it, then make it fourth down, penalty. call the penalty. You know, call it a touchdown because it was, but he was aided by the other player. So then it's fourth and seven Tennessee fans I've heard from so many that are upset about different things from Josh Heupel in this game and, and someone brought this up to me the day after and I wasn't even thinking about it with all the craziness that happened but they're right I think I was more frustrated when Tennessee got the fourth and three in overtime where Hooker avoided the sack and ran to the left and picked up the first down and the very next play they ran it to the two yard line and then called some play action pass and got sacked and all they had to do was run it again. That's what eventually led to the fourth down play they didn't get. But I'm thinking, why try to throw a pass there at the two-yard line when you're running it at will? Just hurry up to the line, run it again, run it three times if you need to. It's first and goal to two. He gets sacked at second and goal from the nine, which eventually led to that, that fourth down play that they didn't get. Uh, I would be upset with that. And, and look, for Tennessee, the second quarter lost in the game. I mean, it, it's really yeah. that simple. They, they were terrible. You know, they played one bad quarter. They were good. They were okay the rest of the game. 
they play where they're up 21 to 7 going into the second quarter. They play really bad. The defense plays bend but don't break. They give up three field goals. And then they turn it over with 30 seconds left and give up a touchdown to go behind. Uh, their offense was, was bad. Didn't execute well in that second quarter, and that's what got them beat. They played one really bad quarter. The rest was pretty much according to script about what we thought was going to happen in that game. So the, the one thing that, that I am reading that they could actually go back and review is the foremost point of the ball when forward progress was ruled dead. They cannot review forward progress to continue once the play's dead, or they, they couldn't go back and reverse a play where you've got Fant pulling him into the end zone. The thing I hate about the forward progress rule is that the official doesn't really have to blow the whistle to rule forward progress. Just says he said. That's ridiculous. And so if you're reviewing that, he's saying, oh, I ruled it right there. Right? If you're reviewing it, sure. when did you rule it? Oh, right there. Right. So he's looking at it. So he could bail himself out by saying, oh, I ruled it right there. Oh, look, he is in. There should be no human element of a call by an official on the spot of a football that is not reviewable. That, that would be my simple blanket statement. I don't want to review everything because I don't want to start reviewing pass interferences and holding and everything else that you could review during a game. I, I don't want to... Here's the thing. I want the official to get it right when Cedric Tillman is held. So obviously on that play, I don't want to have to throw a review flag or have the booth flag it and say, go back and look at this defensive holding. I don't want it. But anything that... There should not be a scenario where a, an official can say a forward progress was stopped and then it's not reviewed. I have it disconnected from the whistle. I don't like the disconnection from the whistle. Yeah, I mean, the, the official would say, well, common sense will tell you the foul always occurs before the whistle. Um, so, you know, you have to blow the whistle after you see the foul occur or after you're ruling a play dead to begin with. But in this case, if it's a late whistle and you're still fighting for the end zone, which is exactly what happened. I mean, Priston Fant is just reaching out to grab the, the ball carrier as forward progress is ruled dead. He's not even actually pulling him in yet. But that, again, that in and of itself is, is uh, a penalty. Um, and that was fourth and goal. That would have moved it back five yards, I think. I think that's right. It's a yeah, five yard said penalty. Fourth and seven, it would have been. Yeah, yeah, it would have been. Now, if they would have, and that's if. Fourth and goal from the seven. Right. If they ruled it a touchdown, which right. it should have been, but, but he was aided with it, it would have been fourth and goal from the seven. But that was a fourth but and given goal. Given the from fact the that they ruled forward progress had stopped it's not reviewable from that you can you can review the foremost point of the ball and at that point he was still a yard short from where they actually ruled him down or they said that he was down yeah i just want it's bizarre i just want where the spot of the ball that uh the official can't stop it and you can't review it for that right right just i don't care where you said forward progress was stopped I want all of those plays where you can have video that shows it, where you can go back and review it. I don't like the non-reviewable aspect of that. And um, what are the chances also, you get a nice, also, clear look at it like you got? Well, Usually a goal line play, right. there's bodies and stuff, and here you have a clear look at it, and you can't fix it. Tennessee fans are rightfully bitter about this because it's the second time it's happened to them. Uh, and, and it's the second time that what normally would happen didn't happen. In a game like that, in a moment like that, on any fourth down, they're not blowing the play dead until it is absolutely over. And that's usually what happens at that point. The Ole Miss game, Matt Corral fumbled the ball and was returned for a touchdown. His forward progress was not stopped. There was no whistle before the fumble happened. And almost every time, they'll go back and look at that and reward the touchdown in that play. Didn't happen. 
So I think it's just the combination of that. Now, my advice to Tennessee fans, I wouldn't spend too much time getting overly worked out about a bad call, worked up, but right. a bad call ending your Music City Bowl. Yeah, you were good that way. Win. I mean, it's, it's, I, I think you just kind of shake your head and laugh because, oh, it happened again. What was Colin Coward's tweet? He tweeted something uh, it was like, great. He give said, me fo- five football, college football games with something crazy happening in them, and Tennessee's involved in four of them. Yeah, he said, give me the craziest set of circumstances around a football game with everything wild and wacky that could happen happening, and I'm going to tell you, Tennessee participated in four of those games over the course of a season. And also, going back to Chad's point about the fourth quarter, it is uh, it, the second quarter is where they lost the game. But they had, they had they were uncharacteristically not executing offensively, and also uncharacteristically with their offense. They're they're down one point in the fourth. They had the ball twice, down thirty-one thirty, and could not go and get points. Yeah, you know that's that was also, where they could have separated. Yeah, in that in that moment, and yeah. then suddenly when they fall behind, they can't be stopped. You know, the rest of the game, it right. was just a track meet back and forth with neither team coming close to stopping. And the look, other. it was a great, wildly entertaining game. It was fun. But we did a three-hour show, watched a good bit of it out there. I drove home and saw the end of the game. It's got to somehow be packaged in something less than that, I think. Yeah, yeah it, even it, if that you're was, a fan of either team, that is a long game. That's a long, that's a long time to be there. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing we complain about it being on TV and watching it, or you can turn it off if you want. But if you are a and tickets were expensive, mm-hmm. people will be they quick were. to tell you that uh, they're going to say they gave you their money's worth in time. Yeah. So if you paid for that, though, that's a long time to be in the stadium. Coming up, we discuss Nissan Stadium with the Titans and the potential for them grabbing the number one overall seed, and why this Sunday is a playoff game for them. And why they need to approach it that way. Paul's got three big things to watch for this week, and that includes number 22, Derek Henry. That's next on OutKick 360. We are live from 6th and Peabody. That's where you can find Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Great food as well. Uh, White Duck Taco Shop available for you. Daddy's Dogs. Daddy's Dogs, yeah. Daddy's Dogs never takes a vacation. The smoker's still out out there, there. too, with the brisket. Daddy's Dogs, you walk out in that beer garden area, and it's, uh, what, probably 30 degrees right now in Nashville, and then smoke is pillowing out of that building, and they are making some dogs. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Smells like America out there. Titans are trending towards the number one overall seat. I like that. It smells like America out there. Uh, (laughs) The, the Titans getting ready for the postseason, and they're the number one seed with a win this Sunday in Houston. That's a noon central kickoff. Uh, I don't know if you guys view this the same way. Behind the scenes, I would be saying this is the first round of the postseason for the Titans. You get the Houston Texans as your wild card weekend opponent. That's how I would approach it. Uh, all out to win the game. And Look, if you don't turn it over five times in the previous matchup, you could still go beat the Houston Texans. Um, The only difference in this matchup, you're going to have a different quarterback playing for the Texans. But uh, with with what's at stake in the bye week and the extra week of rest and the fact that you can give Henry, who I think by them practicing him tomorrow, according to reports, the fact that he could return to practice tomorrow – tells me that they're opening up the window now and not waiting a week to open up the window. This is the knock-the-rust-off type week. Get him activated, uh, have the ability to, when I say activated, off IR and designated to return, 
have the ability to get the coaches around him, teammates around him. He could be on the practice field and get back into some sort of rhythm without any need to play him on Sunday in the case that for whatever reason, you're left with a situation where you're playing a wild card weekend. As of right now, Paul, that's not the case. They win and uh, currently the number one seed, they have the bye and that would allow them, afford them an extra week off and two more weeks of rehab, rest, and practice with Henry. Yeah, you get a sense of normalcy this week with Derek around to whatever degree he's around. You know, Titans often, when a guy's not engaged fully in practice, he's not out there. Right. Uh, I think this is a situation where he will be out there, you know, and I, I wouldn't expect him to be participating in a team period at his first practice, maybe go through individual, but then be be out there because he hasn't been out there and there's some significance to being out there. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot at stake with this week off and with who you draw in the second week, the lowest remaining right. C. Um, and so, uh, you know, and also, you know, it's a division matchup against Amy Adams Strunk's home team. It's always carried a little extra meaning playing Houston on the, on the road for this franchise the team they shouldn't have lost to. They threw four interceptions against them last time in a trash, trash effort. Not, They're significantly better than Let's them. lump in. I agree with all of that. Let's lump in. It's not out of the realm of possibility that Houston can win because we've already seen it once this, this year. But let's go back to last year. The Titans faced a win-and-in scenario. Not win-and-in. Win-the-division scenario last year in Houston. Prior to that, the game here in Nashville went to overtime, and they won that game. And then Deshaun Watson in his final start for the Texans pushed that all the way to the – it was 38-38, and Sam Sloman hit like a 37-yard field goal at the buzzer for the win. Off the off And the they upright. won the division. like uh, Yeah, off the upright. Right. So the games there are always crazy, and the last three uh, contests between these teams have been nuts. And Davis Mills is – substantial. you know, he's not terrific, but he's substantially better than Terod Taylor was in the game here where the Titans gave them the ball – on the porch several times. He wasn't throwing for anything. He ran and gave them problems running or throwing a couple times on the move. But it basically was a hand-away game. It wasn't taken away. It was given away. Uh, Davis Mills can throw a, a, a little bit. I mean, he's a more complete player. Yeah, Brandon Cooks Taylor back. Cooks day. missed due to COVID two weeks ago. He played last week against San Francisco and put on another show. He's he's very talented. And that's one of my three. I'll give you my yeah, okay. three here. I mean, Cooks, in the last three games, has been targeted 32 times. Titans don't target anybody with any frequency <laughs> like that. Now, they make it like they're spreading things out, but they also don't really know. We saw A.J. Brown two weeks ago really take control of a game, but they get away from that. 32 targets, 22 catches, 269 yards, and three touchdowns. I mean, Titans have done a really good job on not letting a singular receiver hurt them, but they need to keep that up against cooks who mm -hmm. can really hurt you. Um, I asked Keith Carter today about this. And I, I, if the Titans were to pull away in this game, if they were to be, you know, up by a significant margin late in the third quarter, I would like to see them try Dylan Radins at right tackle. He got these great reviews from them for this one game at left tackle. We then joked, Chad, about you know him having earned his way into 
weekly active status. <clears throat> David Quesenberry is the weak link on this team to me. Maybe overall, maybe I'm missing somebody, but the pass protection at right tackle is a problem for this team. Mm -hmm. You drafted this guy in the second round. He played, according to them, pretty well at left tackle. And, and there were some good pass protection snaps. Is it not possible that he's better than David Questenberry as a right tackle when you're going to see potentially big-time pass rushings in the, in the playoffs? Maybe it's late to make that move. I asked Keith Carter about this today, and he kind of laughed. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a, it's a laugh. I think you've got to get better if you can well, it's get It's a laugh better. because that's the uh, defense mechanism for someone who doesn't have a good comeback to what you're saying or a good answer for it. You had him dead to rights. Yeah. Well, for all a lot the, of people uh, have an uncomfortable laugh when, oh, well, I guess I don't really have much say to that. For all You're the right. Titans fans out there that wanted to throw a parade for Raidens, uh, I think this should be a persistent question. Why not replace the worst guy on the offensive line with the guy who plays his position? I'm right there with you. Uh, well, I, I would only counter that by saying he doesn't play his position. Yeah, right. They well, moved him to right guard because he sucked. Yeah. But he did say he's, he, practi <laughs> I mean, he, he practices everywhere. So he's I know, ready for I know. left tackle. He, I mean, so he should be ready for right tackle. I know. Tackle. He, he was practicing everywhere thing. in OTAs, too, and yeah. they praised him for no, having I, a great OTA period. Like my, my point there is he's had all season to unseat Devin Questenberry, who's been bad all season, and he hasn't been able to do it. We saw him play left tackle, but it wasn't – I mean, we were the only people in Nashville covering the team that didn't throw a parade for his performance. Right? It was nice, but it's – I mean, it wasn't great. And I would also contend if they've got a healthy Lawan who's playing at the level that he's played with the last couple of weeks when he's been able to go uh, and not been on the COVID list, I'm all for them helping out Questenberry on the right side and them deciding that, you know what, Dylan Radins, it's a red shirt year because it didn't work out his rookie year and they're moving on to 2022 with him. I, yeah, I don't, he's he's I, worse than Quesenberry. Yeah, what they're well, I don't, also, I don't think you're going to make a change this late. They finally yeah. just had a game where they started well, okay, their five here's, starters here's and the finished their five here's starters. Here's the real question. I agree with that, Paul. I, don't, I think it's too late. But let's say, and I, I'm not, I don't, first off, the show doesn't believe in jinxes. So I, and, and second of all, Quesenberry's a great dude, personally. Like, I'm not rooting for this to happen. Hypothetically, though, let's say he goes down with injury. Who's the right tackle? Is Kendall Lamb the right tackle, or is Dylan Radins the right tackle? I think it's got to be Radins. Okay. Well, that's the real discussion because the guy hasn't been active for more than, what, four or five games this year outside of the game he started? I mean, it w wasn't many. And all of a sudden, after being the backup listed on the team's depth chart weekly, if he's active, he's been the backup guard. All of a sudden, he's now the first man up for tackle. That is a... Huge storyline if that were to happen. Agreed. But I don't think you upset the apple cart right now just for the sake of saying that, oh, there's a chance it can get better. It could also get worse. I don't either. It was a curious answer. Though. No, yeah. Oh, well, the I, way he answered is very intriguing. Yeah, I mean, it, and, uh, and that Chad's right. I, I don't think it would be so bad just to say, you know, we're going to find out a lot more about Dylan this offseason no, and how he gets that. ready for next year. can't say that. That would be conceding something. Uh, November 21st, <laughs> week 11. 22-13 Houston, Ryan Tannehill, four interceptions, two fumbles that they recovered. Could have turned the ball over six times there. Ryan Tannehill uh, only attempted 18 passes last week. Um, I'm more concerned, I dare say, with Ryan Tannehill being in playoff shape coming out of this game than I am 
with Derrick Henry. I, I don't. I'm with you. I don't feel like Derrick Henry needs to play to to be ready. Well, for when he's going to be ready for why? the playoffs. But I'm ready for Tannehill to help me to with be crisp and fun. I'm with you. I completely agree. Help me with why all of a sudden there is this sentiment that he needs to knock the rust off in a game. I, I don't well, understand. It is different that he's coming off an injury as compared to just coming off of an off season. So I can understand people saying that, but your you're Henry is excellent. Well, what, yeah. okay, okay, what are ten carries going to do in that? Knock the rust well, off. Like, well, convince knock the rust off do the with thing that Chad carries? and I were talking about, where he gets into the situation where he has to plant the foot, gets over. Yeah, the I, mental, I think it's gets more of a. Mental I, hurdle. I think it's you more. You can do that in practice. I think it's more I, of I a. Agree. Um, where he knows he goes out there and sees, okay, this is what it feels it like works. in a game. It, it'll work for the playoffs. But I agree with you; he can do that in practice. I don't think he has to have it or anything. I just I'm telling you that I think a, that's what the benefit. They've is. got a general manager who put full pads on and go bore to bore with him if they ask him to. That's I true. I mean, the guy loves Which to get physical. Should. My my point he'll there is the pad, he'll get the you pad don't out. have to do this. Like yeah, do it with the, some practice. The knock the now. rust off idea to me is ludicrous when you think of what that means. That to me that is. Five to seven preseason like carries, and you get him out. I don't know what good five to seven carries for Derrick Henry does. I, I, I well, don't. I, I'll, I'll, I, I think of it the opposite way. I think knock the rust off. You give him the ball 25, 30 times in this game. Uh, if he if he's ready to go, I, I don't look then at why it didn't like five they activate to seven him a carries. couple weeks ago if that's the case. Well, I don't know that he was ready a couple weeks ago. Uh, they're talking about Derrick Henry. If well, he's ready to go this well, week, no, no. Hang on. If you're, I'm you're not saying, saying do that, but I'm saying if you're going to play, so now, but him, my definition of knock the rust off is you play game. an NFL football game with him in this setting, and that's knocking the rust off. Not give him that's, a few courtesy. Carries. That's not. That's not knocking the rust off. That is Derrick Henry is back. You walk into a bar and you point over there and you say that man is back, and it's time to go. And he's the full time starter. And one of the three backs that we've seen active is now inactive. That would not be the case here. Dontrell Hilliard goes to the inactive list on Sunday. If, if, if knock the rust off means Derrick Henry's back to being the king in the backfield. I take this to mean, and, and what uh, see Rappaport if, and others have put out there about knock the rust off. I think it was Rappaport. Maybe it was. Yeah, I think uh, it was Rappaport. Okay. I'm getting everyone mixed up. Just know that it's Schefter, Rappaport, and others. Um, Garofalo. Knock the rust off to me means he's active, gets a couple carries, and it's a preseason-like deal. This is a team that didn't even want to practice their starting lineup if they were even healthy, for the most part, in preseason. Henry was healthy, didn't practice all that much, did not play in the preseason games, and that's been their prerogative. I mean, it's it's worked for, for Henry to get the rest when needed and then load up when it's actually go time. Well, I don't think there's any in between here. And I don't disagree with what you're saying about the definition of what knock the rust off means to those those reporters. I, I think you're right about what they're saying. My scenario would be either he doesn't play and you get the full three weeks, two more weeks to rest right. him and go out and win this game, or you deactivate Dontrell Hilliard and you make him your starter in this game. And you if he's back, he's back, he's ready. He's the guy. You're going to Houston with your best players. He's fully ready to go, and we're going to play him as our starting running back. But if you're, those are the options. I don't. I don't like the in between of he's a backup and he gets five to ten carries just to go out there and see if he can test his. It is kind of outside the norm, like you're saying, Hutton. That would require activating a fourth running back. That messes with your game day roster a little bit. If you're doing the handful of carries, it's 
it is a non-conventional NFL Sunday. Just in that alone, I don't like it. Well, let me let me take it a step further with what you said, Hutton, about how you would approach this game from the mindset of this is playoff game number one for this team. Um, I think this is critically important. Yeah. Uh, not only would I go into this game with the mindset of this is a playoff game, this is the Titans' only chance to go to the Super Bowl. This is it. They're not going to Arrowhead and winning. Mark my words. We were there a couple of years ago. Not happening. They are not going into Arrowhead and winning an AFC championship game if they lose this game. Not going to beat a team like that on the road. Their chance to go to L.A. in the Super Bowl is Sunday. Well, that's it. Win that odds. game and have the two games at home and get the bye. That is this team's chance to go to the Super Bowl. They have no shot if they lose this game well, on Sunday. Also, think about, think about what it means. The AFC good, playoff man. contenders, and why I say it's a playoff game, and you treat it like a wild card weekend where you win in advance. The AFC playoff contenders, one through seven this year, can beat each other. And those other teams would be facing the teams that we're discussing that can knock anybody off. Yep. All more away. And your first round opponent with You're this mindset part of the field. are the four-win Houston Texans. Yeah, you and got one, one of their last four wins to lose. is uh, against the Tennessee Titans. Like, And to, to what Paul pointed out right after their win this past Sunday and Kansas City's loss, the Titans, by beating Houston, need two more victories at Nissan Stadium to play for the Super Bowl. They would need one play more win. To, yeah, to, yeah, to play in the Super Bowl. They would need one more win after beating Houston to host the AFC Championship game. That's what all. That's why the mindset has to be: the playoffs begin now. This is not. Have. This is not some warm up, some knock the rust off game where you're going to toy around with five to ten carries for Derrick Henry. You go in there with what has been working, what got you back on track, and what never left. What never left was the run game, and what's back on track is the pass game with AJ Brown involved and the pass protection up front that was excellent over the last couple of games, that's what they need to work out. And protect out the ball. As they go. And, yeah, but absolutely. All of that goes hand in hand, and with a victory, you're one win away from the AFC Championship. Yeah. That's you, huge. You lose, and the momentum just falls right off this desk, crashes down like a, like a, a pumpkin, a piece of fruit that smashes. I mean... They'll they'll put a happy face on it and all of that, but all of a sudden you're getting ready for for a game. And I I think active by opening the window. I keep saying activate, and I apologize. He's not on the active roster right now. Uh, the reports are he's returning to practice. I think by designating him to return, what they're doing is making sure that this week of practice they gear up for him with the idea, the thought, the preparation of the worst case scenario being that something crazy happens and you lose this game in Houston and you're playing wild card weekend and you're hosting Indianapolis or you're hosting the Chargers. Something crazy like that where that's when Henry makes his debut. Henry's next game will be at Nissan Stadium. It's not taking place this week. There is no reason to activate him by Sunday's game in Houston. Remember, remember he had a hamstring. Was that in 19? In uh, in New Orleans, yes. against New Orleans, yes, it took the cautious route there. Had a hamstring issue, and they didn't play him in a game that that was not entirely inconsequential. That's right. In every scenario, but it was predominantly inconsequential to save him for Houston. I think 
Yes, and that week yeah, seventeen. That's right. And and just to just a thought here, you get two more weeks of rest rest before live action for him. I think that is extra, that's that's as that's valuable as the entire team getting the week off. That is, I mean, that is massive for them, where they get to control the pace of what he's doing. You're not doing that in a game because play to play, the other team plays a factor in that. Stay off the quarterback and stay off Henry. That only works when you're practicing against your own guys. Coming up, we wrap up the show. Look ahead to tonight. Believe it or not, the SEC football uh, schedule continues tonight. Sort of. Sort of. A crazy game, though. I'm intrigued, and I'll tell you why. Why I'm intrigued to watch Kansas State and LSU tonight. That's next on Outkick 360. Shout out to Somo Sports Radio, Joplin, Missouri. New to the Outkick family, the Outkick Network. Outkick 360 rolls on. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Twitter and chime in. Outkick 360 on Twitter, on Facebook, and on YouTube is where you can join the chat. LSU and Kansas State tonight. And I mentioned I'm intrigued by this because LSU currently does not have a scholarship quarterback eligible to play. They're going with a wide receiver who was a star quarterback in high school, but since he arrived in Baton Rouge, has moved to wide receiver. So they're going with the wide out at quarterback. Their true freshman, help me with this, Chad, played in a maximum amount of games. They tried to get a waiver for him to play tonight, and that was denied. They wanted to keep him, keep his red shirt. Right, right, right. So right. to do that, they would have to get a waiver for him for this not to count, which I don't think bowl games, that should be a rule that doesn't count either way. You can play all your red shirt players yeah, you want that would in be, that game. It doesn't count against their eligibility. So they don't want to burn That's the red shirt on the Texas Bowl. Yes. So he's not playing. Which is understandable. Right. Um, of course, one of their quarterbacks transferred out, one staying, but he's not playing in this game. So it, it's all it's all to say the quarterback the quarterback is going to be a wide receiver. They and have, on the flip side, LSU's run defense has been terrible, except against some of the best uh, run games down and down out in the SEC. They were really good against Alabama, really good against Arkansas, and Kansas State has a legitimate running back. It's going to play at the next level, and that's their that's their way to victory. Well, very puzzled. K State seven and they a half have thirty nine scholarship players playing in this game. Uh, that's what LSU has available in this game because of transfers, opt outs, the coaching change, everything else that goes with that. Yep. And what we're witnessing in this this is a good example of it in this game: the death of the backup quarterback in college football. Yes, yes, because guys aren't going to stick around and be backups. They're going to go. Tra- they're going to transfer down or transfer to another Division One program, especially at these bigger programs that get really good recruits. When you are a four-star quarterback and you go somewhere, you're not going to sit behind someone else. You're not going to be developed like the old days and then get your shot as a junior or senior. If you want to play, you will transfer quickly. This is another example of what I think eventually is going to be the death of the backup quarterback in college football. Why is there a football game of no consequence being played after New it's Year's always, Day? They always have the one game like that. I don't weird. know why it's this. I don't in, know. in years past, it's been uh, the Tax Slayer Bowl. Mm-hmm. I remember I went to the Tennessee-Iowa Tax Slayer Bowl that was on January 3rd, which was after the first ever playoff games were played. Yeah, this doesn't need to be happening. No, I agree. So uh, Tavion Falk is, is the nephew of... Kevin Falk. Yep. 
And I was he's, for he's one he, yeah, he's one of two guys who could play quarterback tonight, and that's not his spot. So it's it's gonna be fascinating to watch. That one of them is a walk on. It may be Falk who's the walk on quarterback. Yeah, I'm gonna watch just out of sheer curiosity to see uh what thirty nine scholarship guys and a receiver at quarterback looks like for LSU. But, but props to them. I mean, I, I'm intrigued because they're playing the game. They're playing the game. And I would I would venture to say a lot of them are from Texas. A lot of these players at LSU. And Kansas State for That's that That's why matter. we tried to get so, it moved to, there you go. to uh, yeah. the Texas Bowl played Alabama. in Birmingham. Yeah. <laughs> we are back at it tomorrow and every weekday, 2 o'clock Central, 3 o'clock Eastern. Uh, shout out to everybody for joining us today. Hope you'll join us for the Wednesday edition. Thank you to Jacob Swanson and David Reed Swansea. for making the show happen. Reed, Reed is the chairman of the board. Sixth and Peabody, check us out tomorrow on Outkick 360. In the meantime, don't block the box and do lock your locks.